Well, a great big hello and good morning to everybody. I want us to launch away with uh, our question for the morning. Uh, I want to pose to everyone in Mount Pleasant and online and in Alma, and it is something along these lines. What can we do together? Because we are a church family. What can we do together that would serve you best right now, God? This is a question that I mentioned last week, and I want to simply bring it up again. And I don't mean that in a theoretical way. I mean that in a practical way, in a real tangible way to make a difference in a real person's life that you know and care for and would meet or work with or live beside or someone who's a part of your family. If this church, imagine we could wave a magic wand and all of us were to just disappear, every one of us, and to just be replaced by some nameless, faceless person. Imagine we were all gone, and not just the people, which is the church, but even the buildings. Imagine the bricks and mortar were gone. You could wave a magic wand, and they would all just vanish, and instead of our buildings we had, it was just another restaurant or something along those lines. Would it matter? Would it matter if you and I were not here, and this church did not exist? Tangibly speaking, practically speaking, what would be the difference? What would go undone? What person whose spiritual well-being that you're concerned about would never be reached? Their life would never be touched. There would, nobody, there would be nobody or no church to ever come alongside and care and help and support or maybe even bring the gospel into their lives. Today, I want to cast vision into your hearts into your imaginations, and into your intellect. And it is this simple question, how can we serve you best? How can we serve you best, God? It's a great, great question. Last week, we looked at a gentleman in the Bible by the name of Saul, and God elevated his eyes to see the real Jesus. He had no idea who Jesus was. He thought he was a crook, and it changed his life. And Saul had a name change. He eventually became Paul. And if you want to talk about somebody whose life practically, tangibly, really, really, really did make a massive difference, if you look at the life of Paul, the difference of his life was immense in real people's lives. All right, who got a guidebook? Page 29, if you want to crack them open. Is there anybody here who did not get a guidebook? Just throw up your hand real quick, and we'd just love to get one into your hands. Okay, I see one over here. If we could go as quick as we could, I see a few in the back over here, one in the middle over here. Just keep your hands up for a second, a few over here in the back. So this guidebook, bring it with you for the next four weeks. This is a five-week series. Again, one over here, quick as we can. Yeah, a few more over there. And an Alma, if you guys would do the same. And in here, we've got community group questions. We've got commitment cards. We've got the whole um, uh, initiative of Elevate, and I would say keep it on your kitchen table, read it, pray over it, put your notes in there, scribble all over it, put your name in there because they all look somewhat similar. They're identical. Elevate is a word that we introduced this day last week. It represents a brand new season for community church. The motive behind Elevate is discipleship. What the Bible, uh, what has simply been known for many years as the Great Commission that we would function as individuals who make disciples, who those individuals unapologetically make more disciples. That's the reason the church exists. 
If we were not here, if we magically waved a wand and we all disappeared, disciples would not be made. And Elevate is like a nickname that we have for this season of ministry where we hope to accomplish three very specific things. Last week, I showed a video that kind of detailed those out. Today, what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes right now before I get into a passage of scripture, and I want us to look more specifically because I felt like last week was a little bit of a fire hose, and I want to kind of go through what we looked at last week and then just give a tiny bit more teasing out if I could. So here's the three elements of all the initiatives that we're hoping to wrap our arms around for the next two years called Elevate. Number one is this. We want to elevate the gospel of Jesus Christ. $4.8 million in change over the next two years are the resources needed to accomplish this. And this breaks down into three little pieces, three bullet points. We want to champion all ongoing ministry for the next two years. Now, the tendency is to yawn at that because there's nothing, oh, well, where's the new thing? Well, I would say that would be a terrible mistake. Do you know everything that you know about community church, particularly if you've been coming here any period of time? What we're saying is, all of that we're doing right now, so if you look at like our ministry to children and students and college and groups and Celebrate Recovery 12-step programs and benevolence and deacons and staffing and Sunday morning and the opening of God's Word and corporate worship and all of these pieces, what we're saying is we're not going to stop doing all of that. We want to continue doing all of those things and we want for that to continue to blossom. Second bullet point here is we want to launch a discipleship initiative that releases 200 multiplying disciple makers. So have you ever met that individual who's like, oh, can I show you pictures of my children and they take out their wallet? You ever met that individual? Or can I show you pictures of my grandchildren? And you're like, oh, please don't, that's okay. (laughs) What this is about is that imagine spiritually speaking, you were to take out your spiritual metaphor wallet and say, can I show you a picture of my child? It's not your biological child. Here's what you're saying. Here's a picture of somebody that I discipled. Like God led me to this individual and I mentored them, brought them to the word of God and actually helped them to grow in maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's even better than that. Then you show them another picture and say, actually, this is my spiritual grandchild. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, do you know the first picture I showed you, that person that I discipled and mentored? They went on themselves to mentor somebody else. And this is God's incredible plan of compound interest slash multiplication that is called the Great Commission. Disciples who unapologetically make disciples, who those individuals in turn make disciples. And I would like to see at least 200 individuals over the next two years say, man, I've not been in this game, but I'm going to start making disciples. Non-negotiable for the church. Third bullet point under this first section is we're going to take the gospel to an unreached people group in central Russia through one of our global partnerships. I'm actually particularly proud of this particular element that I feel the Holy Spirit has led to. I had a conversation with an individual in this church that really helped me and nudged me in a direction to make sure that our financial giving doesn't only go to, oh, let's make sure that we have chandeliers and nice plush carpet in our buildings. And I don't think we're ever going to be that church that's got to be like, you know, fancy, internally focused all about us. But actually that there will be something in our giving that doesn't just benefit people who are already following Jesus Christ. We're talking about a people group here that if you were to say Jesus Christ to them, they would say, I don't know who you're talking about. And I'm so proud that we would move in that direction. 
The second piece of Elevate is to expand our reach in central Michigan. This is just shy of $3.2 million over the next two years in terms of resources needed. We want to upgrade and repair a building that we purchased in St. John's with a new, leader, a new leadership team to launch at the end of this year. In fact, that launch day is probably somewhere between 60 to 70 days from now. This will be the very first thing, please God, that we accomplish in Elevate. And I'm telling you right now, we've got incredible brothers and sisters in St. John's, and they are chomping at the bit to launch that local church. So it is really, really exciting. We want to fully fund all ministry in St. John's, obviously for those two years to get that up and going. We want to renovate the brand new Alma facility that we've just purchased for a launch in 2023. We would like to set the groundwork for possibly a fourth campus. So in our budget, we have one budget line that we have nicknamed future growth. And it's actually probably the most nebulous, what on earth does that mean, budget line that we have. Because all of our budget lines are very specific and concrete. What is future growth? Future growth is a budget line we started a few years ago. And it was the heart behind it was, what if the Holy Spirit would call us to do something that we are unaware of, but maybe some, the Holy Spirit would do something quite spontaneous, and, and we would say, God, we're poised to do that. And so we put finances aside. In fact, over the course of a year or two, we had actually placed $150,000 in a budget line called future growth. And here's the crazy thing that happened. I'd been praying about campuses, potentially in Clare or Midland. Obviously, we had one in Alma and in St. John's. And I got a phone call before Thanksgiving last year that said, you got to come and take a look at this building. I'm like, what's going on? What is this? And they said, this is happening quite rapidly. We ended up in a conversation as the church actually sold the building that we now own. And do you want to know how much money that we spent to buy the building in St. John's? $150,000. How do you do that? And I look at that and I just go, that is the activity of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for what you've just done there. Unbelievable stuff. And so this piece right here is us saying, let's put some finances aside for I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Maybe there would be an additional campus. I don't know where that's going to be. But Lord, that we would be poised and ready for that day once more. Last piece in this section is to support local community needs in Clinton, Gratiot, and Isabella counties. Those are the counties that we're in right now. And so what we're talking about there is what we believe it means to be a good neighbor. When we moved into Gratiot County, what we did is we knocked on the doors of nonprofits and individuals who were doing a phenomenal job, food pantry, pregnancy services, these kinds of wonderful organizations, and we said, look, we're going to be in this community. We're going to be serving Jesus. We want to know you. We want to pray for you. We want you to know us. And then we also want to give financial support to what you're doing. We're not here to take over what you're doing. You guys are doing a great job already. And we believe that's a good way to be a good neighbor. And as we move into Clinton County, where St. John's is, we want to do that again. In fact, on an ongoing basis in the three counties where we are, there are simply multiple organizations that are doing a phenomenal job that we come alongside and we partner with those. Last piece is number three. We want, to, um, we want to be empowering the next generation. This is about $1.2 million in change for the next two years in terms of resources needed. We're going to update portions of the Mount Pleasant building that I'm standing in today for the attraction and use of children, students, and college students of all ages. We're going to adopt some local church, excuse me, schools in central Michigan. So about 12 to 18 months ago, we were like, ah, schools are hurting. We can absolutely tell. 
we know what we'll do. We're going to do X, Y, and Z for some schools. So we knocked on some doors and we're like, hey, this is what we're going to do for you. We're like thinking, aren't we great? We're going to do some stuff. And they're like, yeah, we don't need you to do that at all. We're like, oh, classic like missionary mistake. You don't go to another country and impose yourself upon them. We said, wait a second, let us stop. You tell us what you need. And you know what they said the number one need was? Substitute teachers. So we started a program last year where we paid for the training of the credentials of anyone who wanted to be a substitute teacher. And in this church, we launched over 50 substitute teachers into the school systems. I was so proud of the church. What an incredible thing to do. In fact, I got a text from a teacher the other day. Yeah, praise God. I got a text from a teacher the other day and said, would you mind mentioning that again? And I said, sure, happy to do that. And so what we're saying is as we move forward into Elevate, we want to come alongside some schools and we want to ask the question again, how can we serve you best? It's an investment into the next generation. We want to sponsor impoverished children through World Vision. We'll do that a little bit later uh, in the process. We have a new tangible support system for fostering the adoption process. So it's my understanding that if you're fostering a child, you might get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you might be handed a two-month baby or a two-year-old toddler or a 12-year-old uh, and a 14-year-old siblings. And as a church, we want to be right there to say, here's a car seat, and here's diapers, and here's a crib, and here's formula, and here's some clothes, and uh, have individuals on a team who are background checked. Okay, mom and dad, you guys need a night out. No problem. You guys go out on a date night. We're coming in. We're going to look after the kids and give that kind of support. This is a phenomenal thing to do. Fun two years of staffing and programming for all children, youth and students and young adults in all of our campuses. And then finally, establish a relationship with Footprints Ministry in Sierra Leone, which is in Africa. And we partner with them as they minister to orphans there. There's a whole lot of gospel work going on there. Amen, church? Exciting stuff, yeah? Praise God. In a few moments, I'm going to read you a scripture where I, I would put it in maybe the top 10, maybe even the top five most shocking, scary scriptures in the New Testament. A lot of people don't get it. A lot of people don't like it. So we're going to have a fun time in that passage of scripture right now. It's going to point us towards a particular truth that I would like to underscore right now, and it is this, that God today wants to elevate your heart's affection beyond self. Now, let me say that one more time, that the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart today is this. God wants to elevate your heart's affection beyond self, me. Of all the things that we are drawn towards, and aren't there many things that we are drawn towards in our life, self is huge. That God today would say, I'm going to change that. I want to lift up the affections of your life, the things that you are drawn towards, so that it's not only always me or self. Self is a small word, but it's no small thing, is it, church? It's not at all. Self is ready for you to wake up every morning, sitting on the edge of your bed with a great big smile on his face. You know what self wants you to do first thing in the morning? You go ahead and hit snooze. Go on. It's fine. And then you know what else? You go ahead and hit snooze again. Go for it. And then eventually self will say to you, you know what? We should go downstairs because I think we really should have some eggs and bacon and some pancakes with chocolate chips and some cream on top and a nice cup of coffee. And you go, self, that's a really good idea. For the remainder of the day, here's what self 
will want to do to you. Self wants to spend the day entertaining self and feeding self and relaxing self and buying for self and making sure that self doesn't raise a little finger for anyone else but self. I always remember my nephew in Ireland when he was a toddler. He's now a grown man. He was probably two, maybe three. And his mom would say to him those typical things that moms say to toddlers. His name is Ben. Ben, you know, it's time for you to uh, pick up your room, you know. Or, Ben, come on over here. I want you to help me. Let's put these crayons away. Or, Ben, it's time to eat your vegetables. And what I loved about his response was that he was so polite. It was such a polite answer. He would lovingly look at his mother and smile, and sort of tilt his head in one direction and go, no, thank you. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? That's a great answer. <laughs> also known as, you can shove it, Mom. I'm not doing that. And what I'm saying to you is that exists in every single one of us, a whole lot of self. And we go on automatic pilot on the normal day of our lives. And look at what Paul says to this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, and this is going to be so counter to where our minds are. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And self goes, no, 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 no. I don't think I like that language at all. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Oh, self is like, ah, oh, no, I don't like that. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It may be one of the best little verses to simply sum up the Christian life. Look at this language. I don't live anymore. I think C.S. Lewis says, I'm going to, butcher this quote, something along the lines of like, you only get one chance to die before you die. And it's now. And you get one chance to do that. And that's what this language is talking about. Like, I no longer live. I have been crucified in Jesus Christ. It's God living in me and through me and me living for God that causes transformation and change to happen in my life. But you see, there's one thing that's required. I've got to be dead. What do, you, what do you mean by that, God? I've got to be crucified. It's this sense of surrendering to self. Chocolate chips in your pancakes with cream on top and hit snooze. I've got to actually say no to that. It means that God, it says in the New Testament that he has actually prepared something for you to do. God has prepared in advance good works for you to do. In other words, before you were born, God, when he had you in mind, he had mission in mind for you. I'm going to give life here, and I've got stuff. I want you to roll up your sleeve, and I want you to be on mission for me. In other places, he actually says that he equips you to do these good works. It simply means that God has equipped you and planned for you and has given you a power to accomplish things specific to you. So what do we do? Well, we got to get self out of the way. We don't have to, we, we got to make sure that we're not loving other things more than we're loving God. And it's a sense of saying, look, my life is actually over. What a, that sounds like a downer. I know it does. My life is actually over. Because it's not so much that I have goals for this earth, so much as it is that I have goals for his kingdom on this earth. That's a very different thing. And if this book right here is true, and if God is real, then what we do 
in our lives in this short time that we have, it matters. In fact, it matters in eternity. It doesn't even have to go well. Wait a second. Self doesn't like that. Self wants everything to be comfortable. Self wants everything to go perfectly. No, it doesn't even have to go well, this life. Why? Because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I know that he has prepared for me great things in advance for me to do. And church, I don't want us missing out on that life. God has plans for you. Something got dead and buried in that little verse in Galatians chapter 2, and it's called self. And Paul is addressing this. The guy that we looked at last week who was killing Christians, he's addressing this on a very daily basis where we go into automatic pilot of, I just want to live for me. But what disciples do, what followers of Christ do, is we say no to self. And so today I pray that God elevates your heart's affections above self. Instead of serving self, we make a real difference, a gospel difference in central Michigan. And here's why I'm saying all of this. Because elevate, I don't know that it's going to go anywhere if self is on the throne of this church or if self is on the throne of your personal life. So I'm going to show you a shocking passage now where this was taken so literally This is the birth of the church. We're in the book of Acts again. Just like us, they're elevating the gospel. They're in the Middle East. We're in the middle of Michigan. Same thing. (laughs) That was quite funny. (laughs) One of the things that emerged from this community was outrageous generosity. Because what we see in this community is that probably the majority of the people were living lives pretty poor but not everybody. There were some people in the church who had resources. In fact, we read about a guy by the name of Joseph. He had a field. He had some resources. He had a field. So do you know what he did? He sold the field, and he brought the money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet for it to be be used in in this brand new community. And people saw what Joseph did, and they were like, that's pretty amazing. I don't know that most people would do that. In fact, they thought so highly of Joseph that they gave him a new name as well. And his new name was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. It's a pretty nice name. And then we meet another couple. And this other couple, their name is Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. And like Joseph, they've got some money. They've got some resources. So here's what happens in one of the scariest, most shocking scriptures in the New Testament, certainly in the top five. Acts chapter five, verse one and two. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Also, because we know that Joseph already did this. It's a reference to Joseph. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back a part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. What is going on here in this pastor's scripture? Well, people are being incredibly generous. Some people have resources, and Ananias and Sapphira... They're seeing what other people are doing, particularly Joseph, and they're feeling a little bit of pressure. Oh, somebody else wrote a check. Maybe I should write a check, right? They did something really good, and it was noticed. Joseph, they gave him a new name. We'd like a new name. That'd be great. 
Perhaps a little bit of jealousy kicking in here with Ananias and Sapphira. They want to be generous. But you know what else they want to be? They want to be rich. They want to be loved by other people, but they also want to hold on to this jealousy at the same time. They want attention from other people, and they want attaboys and well done, and they want the church to say, you guys are amazing, and we're going to celebrate you. But apparently what is also right there is they want to deceive. They are divided from their community. Do you know what that reminds me of? <laughs> that reminds me of me. It reminds me of you. It reminds me of us. Because that's in self. It's true of every single one of us. I know that you already know this. You live in the tension of wanting to be a selfless person. And at the same time, you want to be a selfish person. Everybody here knows that. Give me an amen, yeah? Like, we all know that. I would love to be a selfless person. I'd love to help that. I'd love to give to that. But you know what? I want to keep it all as well. Everyone knows what that looks like. We live in the push-pull of wanting things God's way. How many times in your life have you just said, Lord, your will, your will, I just want what you want, and then in the exact same sentence, you turn around, but you know what else I want? I want what I want too. We live right inside that tension. And Ananias gets this idea. He thinks to himself, all right, I'm going to sell this field, and I'm going to take some of the money from selling it, and I'm going to give it to the church, but we're going to keep back some of this money for ourselves. It won't really be lying, not really, because I won't really say to anybody that I didn't give it all. People will just think that I gave it all. We'll have a false reputation for generosity, and at the same time, we can indulge in our own greed, and we will avoid the pain of people knowing what's really going on inside of us, and that is, we feel resentment and jealousy towards this guy called Joseph. We want what he wants. We'll have the admiration of other people, but secretly, we will be betraying the very values that we claim to uphold. It'll be great. What a good plan. And he tells his wife, Sapphira. It's a key moment for her because she could say, Hubby, you know, come on, that's not good. I don't know if that's the best. Why don't we pray about that? But she doesn't. Instead, she says, okay, it's a good idea. This is the sin of conniving. It's a very important kind of sin. It's very, very destructive because when you're conniving, you are pretending not to notice your own character defects. Good connivers, if you're really good at it, you won't even acknowledge that's what you're doing at all. Somehow the apostle Peter finds out about it, we don't know how. I think the Holy Spirit just told him. Peter doesn't connive. Peter confronts. He goes to Ananias directly, and he makes it very clear that the biggest sin here wasn't the jealousy, it wasn't the resentment, it wasn't the greed. In fact, he pretty much says to Ananias, dude, you, you didn't have to sell the field at all. Nobody told you to do that. You could have you sold the field if you wanted to and kept all of the money. You could have sold the field and kept a portion of it and given us a portion of it and been honest about it. You didn't have to, in fact, Ananias, you didn't have to do any of this at all. The real sin here is the sin of deceit. You're living a double life, Ananias. 
There is something about spiritual hiddenness that is so toxic in the community of God that it makes this not just a sin against other people, but it's actually a sin against God himself. And Peter says this. And here's what happens next. And here's what's the most shocking thing about this story. It's actually kind of hard to get your head around. Peter confronts him. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, Peter's confrontation, it says, he just fell down and died. He just dropped dead. And a great fear seized all who heard had happened. And a couple of hours later, his wife Sapphira comes in and pretty much has the identical conversation with Peter and it's the exact same result. And she falls down dead and they're carrying out her body. And the text says in verse 11, great fear seized the whole community and all who heard about these events. What kind of story is this? Why is this in the Bible? This is the very early days of the church. And they're trying to grow the church, right? They want more people to be disciples. They want more people to come into the church. Having people keeling over dead in the church may not be the best recruiting strategy for growing your church. Can you see the t-shirt? Come to church. You might die. <laughs> not good on a coffee mug. Tough passage of scripture where we have a couple who are being deceptive about their generosity because their heart's affections, self, was completely impure. They cared less about helping or sacrificing or giving. They cared less about the gospel. They cared more about their reputation and their standing in front of other people. They longed for approval and position and recognition and accolades and glory. And their act of giving, which really is an act of worship, isn't it? When we give to the Lord, God, this is my worship for you. This is my sacrificial giving. Who did it point to? Did it point to God? No, it pointed to themselves. Look at me. Look at us. Look at what we're doing. Give us a new name. Pat us on the back. Tell us that we're amazing. And the Holy Spirit would not tolerate such impunity in these early days and formative days of the church. God wouldn't accept that worship. He doesn't need that kind of giving because right in the bullseye target of that giving is self being glorified. How does this shocking scripture translate to our lives? Well, disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ, we recognize our selfish affections and we expose them. We say, here they are. This is me. This is all the self that wants to get out of the grave and live and get loud in my life. And we surrender them and re redirect those affections towards gospel generosity and gospel love. And as we enter into this season of Elevate, I want to ask you this question. And it lives right inside the tension of, I want to be so selfless, and I want to be so selfish. It lives right in the middle. Here's the question. Do you want to be a generous person? Answer it right now in your head. Do you want to be a generous human being? Some of you will honestly say, no, I don't. I don't want to be that. And that will expose something even here and now. Do you want to be a man or woman who pours out their life on mission 
Making disciples, sharing the gospel, generosity of heart, generosity with money, generosity with your time and your patience, generosity as you care for other people and your investment into perhaps a troubled person or a wounded person, a generosity of your intellect and your words as you share the gospel with love and passion and power. It is a life that you have been called to, equipped for, empowered for. God has prepared you in advance to do great things for him. This is what he's called you for. A little over three years ago, for the first time, I introduced what's called the giving ladder. I mentioned last week that we'd take a look at this. I don't expect everyone to remember this. We have new people coming into our church all of the time, so we're going to take a fresh look at this today. I like this. It's just an illustration because what it shows is it shows you the answer to the question that I just asked. Am I a generous person? It's going to answer it for you right now, and then it'll show you one thing. Okay, here's where my generosity is. It'll show you, here's one step that I could take to become a more generous man or a more generous woman of God. So, here's the first one. The first one is called an initial giver. This may be my favorite of all of them. Please don't look down on this because it happens to be towards the bottom end of the ladder or the lowest rung. That's not what it's meant to be at all. Here's what's happening. A follower of Jesus Christ opens up the Word of God, hears the Holy Spirit speaking and nudging and directing and guiding and leading, and then this person says, my fists, and this is my own story about me, my fists have been clenched tight, and for the first time in your life, this person says, I'm going to open up, and I'm going to take something that wants to have mastery over me, God and money, almighty God, almighty dollar, God says, I will not fight this battle with something as fickle and plastic as pieces of paper. I want to be king of your heart. I don't want your money. I want your heart. I want your life. I had a conversation with somebody just a few weeks back when we were out in the back lawn with all the games and the donuts and the coffee and all that fun. And I just love this conversation. This person, who I will keep anonymous, said to me so gently, they said, look, I've never really been able to tithe. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. I've never been able to give like that. I don't make a ton of money. I'm on disability. Uh, Lovely, lovely person. And she said to me, I just prayed about it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I should give five dollars. And I'm not joking you, I wanted, to, I wanted to pick her up and celebrate her. I wanted to say, I think it's incredible. Because what you're doing is you are stepping into obedience. This will never be the church where somebody writes a big old fat check for half a million dollars and we, we tout them up on the stage and we say, everybody, here's the person who gave the half million dollar check. I want to I wanna give praise and thanks for the person who gave the widow's might. I want to say thank you to the person who said, actually, here's what I did. I simply stepped into obedience and I think we ought to celebrate that as a church. That is an initial giver. That may be you today. Where you would say, honestly, I don't give. I never have. And what, here's what you got to do. You come before God, you open up his word, and then you respond in obedience. And we will celebrate that. Last year, 161 families in this church did that. Praise God. 161 families saying, I want to be obedient to the Lord. The number one goal of Elevate is not some amount of money. We're not becoming that church where we get the thermometer up here and every week and we see, can we get a bit higher? Let's push it. Let's, we're not doing that. 
The number one goal of Elevate isn't even all of these incredible kingdom initiatives, and they're amazing. Here's the number one goal, that 100% of this local church would have an encounter with Jesus Christ in the context of their generosity. They would say, God, I've encountered what you would say to me, and I simply want to be an obedient disciple. The second one is an occasional giver. This is an individual who has not only given in the past, but is saying, look, that's something that I'm going to do on a somewhat regular basis. There may not be a plan with that or a rhythm with that, and maybe the plate comes around or there's the box, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm going to throw 20 in there, I'm going to throw 50 in there, I'm happy to do that. There may not probably be a, a, a huge plan about that. Here's what this person is asking, the occasional giver. They're asking, God, what do you want me to do with my stuff? What do you want me to do with all my stuff? In fact, they're actually moving past that, and they're saying, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? That's a good step. Third step right here is an intentional giver. This is an individual who's taken another step in their generosity. And the question that they're asking is this, God, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me? What a lovely question. That's a question of a disciple. If any of you are new to church, this will be a new word for you, but it's a very powerful word, and it is the word tithe. We find this in the Word of God where individuals said, I want to give 10% of my income to the Lord. For Kelly and I, that's been a part of our marriage from day one. In fact, we were doing that as single people even before we met. I don't mean that in a bragging way or look at us way at all. For us, that's just become a normal way that we want to be obedient to the Word of God in our lives. And so what we do is we sit down and we put our budget together and we say, before we're buying uh, food for the table, before we're paying our taxes to Uncle Sam, before we're paying on the car payment or the mortgage or the electricity bill or we're doing the Christmas thing, here's what we're doing. We want to give, we want to give our finances to the Lord. And that is what's happened here is you're moving from more of a random place where you're saying, actually, I have an intentional plan and I want to be obedient to the Lord in all of that. Next step up here is a, uh, a surrendered giver. This is an individual who's taken another step uh, in terms of their generosity. They truly come to understand that actually everything I have is from God. Everything. And here's the question that a surrendered giver is asking. What does God want me to give from what He has provided? Not what does God want me to give from what He's given to me. What does God want me to give from all that He's provided in my life? And for some, this means going beyond the tithe. And again, by, I don't want to be a bragging thing. For Kelly and I, here's where we're at. And I think probably three years ago, we were here, and then we just felt the Holy Spirit saying, what would it look for us to increase in obedience and to become more generous as a, as a family and as a couple? We sat down together, we talked about it, we prayed about it. And for us, yeah, thank you, Lord, for the, the opportunity to tithe. But Lord, what else can we do? How else can we bless? And all I can say to you is, God has been faithful to us in all of that. The last one is a lifetime giver. And this is somebody who's just taken another step in their generosity. They're thinking about the long-term effects of generosity in the kingdom of God. This last question is powerful. Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to give from what you've provided? They're saying, no, God, what do you want me to keep from what you've provided? God, you've given me this. I think it's no problem for me to live on this. Lord, everything else is yours. Rather than stockpiling, rather than storages upon storages of collecting dust and things that I don't need and don't use or don't want, 
even things that I want, but I'm happy to give them away for you, Lord. Lord, I would do that. Before we launch this series, which we will do at the end of this uh, series, before we launch Elevate, can I tell you what's at stake? Very briefly, number one, it is the danger of status quo. I've mentioned this before many times. I will say it again many times. We right now are unwilling as a church to get comfortable with where we're at. Amen? Like unwilling to do that. Once you get comfortable, you begin to die as a church. We are unwilling to do that. One of the greatest threats, and there are several threats that could possibly come against community church. One of the greatest threats for community church is this. Oh, you know what we are? We're probably one of the largest churches around in central Michigan. So we're good, right? As if this were our definition of success. As if that even matters, really. Lord, thank you for every man, woman, and child. Thank you for every soul. But that's not what we're doing here. We're not playing some numbers game. That's not what this is about. Or our church is bigger than your church. I think God doesn't even bless that junk. That's not what we're about at all. Lots of people on a Sunday in a building is not the Great Commission. Is not us making disciples. Not even close. The danger of the status quo. This is why Elevate matters. This is why Elevate uh, is right in front of us at the moment. Number two, we must be a people of faith. It is good and right for us to grow and stretch and reach for what is more than we can do within our own capacities. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, oh, Lord, you want me to do a project? Honestly, God, I think I could do this project without you. I think God says, then I'll do the project. Something in all of this must cause us to go, man, I don't think we, I don't know if we can do this. Perfect. Perfect. That place is now all of us in a place of dependency and trust and faith and having to look to him. Number three, we will be obedient. The leadership of this church has taken months and months and months in certainly meetings and conversations and so many occasions where we simply bowed the knee and we prayed. And what I would say to you is the leadership of this church is saying, this is the direction that we believe the Holy Spirit is leading us in and we simply want to be obedient to the Lord. If you, were if you were here last week, I want to thank you for making a commitment to making a commitment. I want you to examine your life in the light of that right now. If this is your first week today, if you've come here week two, here's what I want to emphasize. Our heart's desire for you, for every one of you, is that you would simply encounter Jesus Christ and you would say, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and there's something in my spirit in all of this that would simply say yes and amen. No sideliners, no one sitting on the bench, no spectators. Actually, the entire family of God in step, in unity, in service to the King of Kings. That is what this is about. Church, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now that you would give to us together on purpose. That would be a real description of our church family. I pray that that would be more than words on a sign. I ask you to speak deeply into our lives, into marriages, into the relationships of every person here today. 
that we would be powerfully moved to get off the bench and to get into the game that we would be active and on duty for God in our lives. I pray that people who are on the edges of this church would feel and know and hear the invitation to become central and core and to be known and to be part of something just wonderful in this family. That there would be a sense of inclusion to the high calling of living for you that we would live with generosity and that we would give you worship that has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with self and everything to do with the King of Kings. Lord, everything that we do, we pray that honor and glory and praise and power and dominion and adoration to the name above all names, that is the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And together the church said, Amen. Blessings, church.